If you're tired of these promos, supporters get the podcast early and ad-free. Just go to donate.bogosity.tv for the links to sign up. Welcome to the Bogosity Podcast for the week of January 9, 2022. The podcast that converts metric to early dynastic. This is your host, Shane Killian. Let's aphorize the news of the bogus. One of the ways the mainstream media foments misinformation is by creating moral panics, which, as we've covered, has the effect of activating the amygdala and stimulating the hippocampus, basically turning off the rational part of your brain. Although you can recover from this in time, if they keep bombarding you with alarm, they can make it so you never recover and end up thinking critically about what you've been spoon-fed. Case in point, the media blaming social media for what they've been doing and in the process attacking Section 230. In this example, you have the New York Times creating the panic, then they report on Congress investigating the panic, which really amounts to them blustering for the public, which keeps the cycle going. To avoid demonetization or worse, I won't be naming the site in question, but it's an online forum used by people who are contemplating suicide. The Times claimed that the site actually encourages suicide and that Section 230 is to blame. Both claims are specious at best. But suicide is a great subject for them to use. Many of us know people who have committed or attempted suicide, and even those of us that don't can profoundly empathize. The sociopaths in the news media use this to blame this or that, or these people or others, but the fact of the matter is, it's almost never the case that you can know what actually caused someone to take their own life. And even worse, this kind of reporting itself can give power to suicides since someone who's thinking of killing themselves can use it to punish whoever they want. Trying to hold people liable for encouraging suicide can itself encourage more suicides. But defining particular causes of suicide, or red flags that can indicate a future suicide, isn't really all that possible, short of someone coming right out and claiming they're thinking of it and why. It's very personal and individualized, and there are usually many different factors that influence the decision in many different ways. Yet, the New York Times wants to blame a single website and, of course, Section 230. But the reason that website exists in the first place is because of other websites censoring that kind of discussion. Reddit shut down a group where people were sharing methods of suicide and self-harm, and that was after Facebook... Twitter, and many other platforms did so. Mere days after the Reddit ban, this site showed up. Why? Because, quite simply, people form communities. If you make it so they can't form the community one place, they'll just go somewhere else. And taking it off of social media forces them onto specialized websites. Ban those websites, and they move to secretive and seedier backwaters on the Internet. And in the process the discussion gets moved away from where this can be monitored by experts and professionals, removing opportunities to intervene and get help for troubled individuals. Not only that, but you make it more and more likely that the forums are being run by people who don't have the best interests of these communities at heart. And by the way, I'm just going to say it. 
If you look into these communities, a lot of them are people in chronic pain trying to deal with the fact that they keep getting their medicine taken away from them or have to deal with constant harassment from helpful people. What's really happening is that people don't like that a light is being shined on problems that are already there that aren't being fixed, and mental health is one of the big ones. Anyone who actually cares about these people would see things like Reddit groups as an opportunity for professionals to participate and help guide people to real solutions, instead of trying to cut them off and hope the problem will just go away. But that isn't the way political dogma works. It's all about pointing the finger of blame and narcissistically positioning yourself as someone who at least tried to do something about it. That's done for their own sakes, not the sake of the troubled individuals contemplating suicide. Like New Jersey Democrat Frank J. Pallone Jr., who said, quote, It is imperative that companies take the threat of such sites seriously and take appropriate steps to mitigate harm. Or Democratic Senator Richard Blumenthal, who told Google and Bing to remove suicide sites from their search results. None of them seem to have asked the question of why people are seeking out these websites and what can be done about it. And they're certainly not doing anything to remove the stigma about mental illness that creates so much harm for so many people. Because that's something that political dogma does. It tries to paper over a symptom without regards for the root cause. In the meantime, the Streisand effect just makes it more likely people will visit these forums. And it's things like this that make me think we've gone way beyond places that Hanlon's razor can apply. If this is just incompetence and not maliciously intentional, how come it keeps happening? If you're looking for a way to support this channel, but you don't have any spare cash and you can't stand ads, you can do so by generating your own cryptocurrency. Use the links at the bottom of the description to follow the link to odyssey.com to listen to the podcast and see all of my YouTube videos as well. Just watching videos will produce cryptocurrency for the creator and yourself. And since Odyssey is always monetized and never censored, you'll have no problem seeing all the videos from your favorite creators. You can also use the library credits you created Odyssey to tip creators and even purchase paid content. Earn library credits through various rewards, including daily view rewards and the number of shares and invites. And you can interact with creators in all sorts of ways, including like and dislike, comment, boost a post by supporting it, repost it, and share to other sites, all while earning crypto for the creator. Easily monetize yourself and your favorite creators using cryptocurrency without advertising. Use the link below to visit this channel on odyssey.com and see many of your other favorites there as well. Alright, let's cover a story that won't make us feel depressed. A court actually gets it right when it denies a content cartel the right to troll through a copyright defendant's hard drive. Strike 3 Holdings is one of the biggest copyright trolling companies there is, filing over 1,900 piracy lawsuits in the U.S. in 2021 on behalf of adult video companies. Even though streaming is the main piracy outlet these days, most of them continue to target BitTorrent users. While most people cave, occasionally you get pushback, 
And in this case, a John Doe defendant in the Central District of California refused to turn over the contents of his hard drive on demand. Strike 3 accused Doe of pirating 54 movies, and during the discovery process, they asked the court for a full forensic copy of his hard drive, as well as all of the information on his cloud accounts. Doe objected, saying that handing over all the hard drive's contents would not only give them private information such as family photos, but also content protected by attorney-client privilege. U.S. Magistrate Judge Sherry Pym ruled in favor of Doe, saying, quote, There is no question that an examination of these images would reveal information relevant to either proving or disproving plaintiff's case. But producing a complete forensic imaging of defendants' hard drives and accounts will also disclose information that has no relevance to plaintiff's copyright infringement claim, including family photos and personal financial information. Instead, Doe offered to enter specific search queries in front of an expert hired by Strike 3, but the company wasn't willing to do that. Apparently, they didn't want to have to specify what it is they wanted, but go on a fishing expedition. Strike 3's solution is for their own expert to filter out all the privileged information, but as Doe pointed out, it shouldn't be up to Strike 3 to determine which files are private and which ones are relevant. And that isn't me saying it, it's the judge. Quote, because plaintiff's protocol does not adequately address defendant's privacy, confidentiality, and privilege concerns, a forensic examination of defendant's devices threatens the disclosure of irrelevant and privileged information. And really, all of this is way out of proportion to the nature of the accusation. Quote, Undoubtedly, a complete forensic information would be a more reliable and thorough way for plaintiff to ensure it has obtained all relevant information. But given what is at issue in this case, the alleged infringement of 54 movies requiring defendant to turn over images of his hard drives and cloud accounts to plaintiff is not justified. Sorry, Strike 3, but you're actually going to have to find evidence for your accusations. Burden of proof's a bitch, ain't it? If you're on the Wi-Fi in a coffee shop or hotel, anyone on that network can get your traffic. Do you really trust all of those strangers? For that matter, do you really trust your ISP? A VPN can protect you from prying eyes, disguise your location, and even foil government censors. It's essential in this day and age. So go to vpn.pagosity.tv and you'll be taken to BoxPN. Starting at just $2.99 a month, you can get unlimited high-speed connections to VPN servers all over the world. And they don't log connections, so your privacy is assured. Traveling abroad, just VPN home, and don't worry about what those other governments are doing. Back at home, stop your ISP from traffic shaping and messing with the quality internet access you're paying good money for. You can connect from multiple machines at once, including your smartphone or tablet, and it supports all the secure standards, including OpenVPN and SSTP. Bypass sensors and surveillance with your own secure VPN connection. Go to vpn.pagosity.tv. More good news with regards to copyright. Winnie the Pooh is now finally in the public domain. The scandal was that it took so long to happen. A.A. A. Milne's book Winnie the Pooh was published in 1925. By all rights, it should have been public domain in 1982, if not earlier, but we'll get into why. In addition to the first Pooh book, other literary works now PD include The Sun Also Rises, 
Franz Kafka's The Castle, The Land of Mist by Arthur Conan Doyle, The Seven Pillars of Wisdom by T.E. Lawrence, Agatha Christie's The Murder of Roger Ackroyd, and all of the works of Sinclair Lewis. Movies include Buster Keaton's Battling Butler, The Temptress starring Greta Garbo, and the first full-length sound film Don Juan. The age of all of these works should be enough to convince any reasonable person that copyright term extension makes zero sense, legally, ethically, or morally. The whole point, so we're told at least, is to be an economic incentive to creators so that they'll have exclusive rights to copy and sell it. What possible justification is there to make that period of time 95 years or 70 years after the death of the author? Who's really going to decline to write something because their great-grandchildren might not be able to sell it? Not only that, but when Milne wrote Winnie the Pooh, the copyright term was 28 years, although it was possible to extend it for another 28, making the maximum 56. So from everything he knew at the time, his work would enter the public domain in 1982 at the latest. And it didn't stop him from writing it now, did it? That's from American Publication, of course, which Mill made a lot of money from. But he was British. But even then, in the UK at that time, it was 50 years after the death of the author, which would have made it PD in the UK in 2006. Either way, it makes no sense whatsoever that it would take until now for Winnie the Pooh to enter the public domain. By the way, the other book, The House on Pooh Corner, will become public domain in another two years. But talk to a statist, and they'll bleed on about copyright as if it's some sort of moral right. They've basically been brainwashed by the state and big content corporations to view words on paper as property making a false equivalence with tangible goods and an artificial monopoly. But that has never been the purpose of copyright in the U.S., and as we've seen over and over again, it's far from the case that you don't get works being created when there's no copyright protection. In fact, you generally get more since creators have to keep creating in order to keep making money. Do you have children? Or nieces or nephews? Are you homeschooling? Or just want to counter some of the socialist indoctrination most children get in school? If so, go to bogosity.tv slash Tuttletwins and you'll be taken to a website where you can get some great books for elementary age children. The Tuttle Twins books are books about liberty and free market economics that include children's versions of Bastiat's The Law, Leonard Reed's I Pencil, and Hayek's The Road to Serfdom, as well as books about the Federal Reserve and how regulations protect business cronies. They'll learn about the harm caused by eminent domain, or regulations passed in the name of safety, and fundamental concepts of liberty. And as you can see from the sample pages on the website, they're all easy to read and nicely illustrated. They're just $9.99 a piece, or get a special discount as well as free bonuses when you purchase all five. You can even buy in bulk to donate to schools and local libraries. So get the Tuttle Twins books at bogosity.tv slash Tuttle Twins. And now it's time to remythologize this week's biggest bogan emitter. And this week, it goes to Homeland Security Investigations, whose agents were engaging in operations designed to crack a, quote, transnational criminal organization engaged in sex trafficking. They should have arrested themselves, for they were the ones having sex with the victims. This story is from last year, 
But thanks to Marco Polo 112 for bringing it to our attention now. Lon Weigland, Deputy Special Agent in charge of Homeland Security Investigations in Arizona, issued a press conference back in September 2018 about Asian females who may be sex trafficking victims. It took two years for it to be revealed that HSI knew at the time that federal undercover agents paid for and engaged in sex acts with suspected victims. Adding to their culpability was HSI's refusal to let its agents testify, causing the entire case to collapse. All felony charges against the alleged ringleaders were dropped. HSI has always enjoyed little accountability and oversight, even when it's involved in things like shootings of civilians all over the country. An HSI spokesworm claimed it was the acts of just a few agents not acting under the color of HSI, but their own documents, as well as statements by local police and the response of the federal government, shows that statement to be a lie. According to Bullhead Police spokeswoman Emily Frommelt, quote, Detectives were informed by HSI that the undercover sexual activity was authorized. And a leaked HSI policy handbook says that undercover agents can engage in illegal activity of the very sort being investigated. I don't know what more needs to be said, other than the HSI just has to be this week's biggest bogani emitter. I want to tell you about the eyeglasses I've been wearing for years. As people can see on my videos, I have a very strong prescription, which makes glasses more expensive, especially when I need computer glasses, reading glasses, prescription sunglasses, and most expensively, progressive lenses for general everyday wear. To save money while still getting quality glasses, I get them from Fermu. In fact, I just got a pair of progressives with high-index aspherical lenses and a nice pair of frames my wife loves for just over $100. It would have been $500 to get them through my eye doctor. Not only do they look good, the glasses are durable. I've worn many pairs for several years without problems. All orders come with a 30-day return policy, a 3-month warranty, and one-on-one -on -one customer service. Go to Firmu, that's F-I-R-M-O-O dot Bogosity dot TV, anytime you need quality glasses at a low price. Once again, that's Firmu dot Bogosity dot TV. And now let's rigify this week's Idiot And our first moron of 2022 is none other than President Joe Biden, who just signed a $137 million deal with a German pharmaceutical company to build a COVID test strip factory to produce 83.3 million tests a month. The problem? At the earliest, these won't be available until late 2024. That's not just closing the barn door after the horses have left, that's building the barn after they're long gone. Merck, under their brand Millipore Sigma, will build a new factory in Sheboygan, Wisconsin, according to the Defense Department. A spokesperson said, quote, Construction is expected to begin the second half of 2022, and initial planning and preparatory work is already underway. We estimate that the facility will be capable of providing lateral flow membranes in the latter part of 2024. 
Ultimately, Biden has pledged to spend a total of $3 billion on the testing kits. This is part of the $1.9 trillion American Rescue Plan Act Biden signed last year. Of course, this does nothing about the current shortage of test kits. Given the relative mildness of the Omicron variation, which represents as many as 70% of new cases in the U.S., while the number of deaths can be counted on one hand, and how that happened in just two years, once another three is passed, it's pretty obvious that by then, COVID will likely be just another cold virus, as many epidemiologists predicted at the very beginning. So, who is really benefiting here? The people or a Biden crony? So all of that makes Joe Biden this week's... Idiot Well, that wraps up this He's Madder Than Mad Jack McMad, the winner of last year's Mr. Madman competition edition of the Bogosity Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please go to donate.bogosity.tv for several ways to support and discord.bogosity.tv to join the discussion. Subscribe at Patreon or Subscribestar and you can listen early and ad-free. Thank you for listening. Until next time, here's a quote from PJ O'Rourke. Human problems are complex. If something isn't complex, it doesn't qualify as problematic. Very simple bad things are not worth troubling themselves about. The Bogosity Podcast is licensed under Creative Commons Attribution on Commercial No Derivatives 4.0 International License. Bogosity. We live in a world where light bulbs connect to the internet, and recent attacks on them prove that your online security is under threat like never before. Not only your websites, but the internet-enabled devices you buy. And the biggest problem is weak passwords. That's why you need LastPass. LastPass allows you to randomly generate strong, unique passwords on the web and on your internet-enabled devices, all protected by one master password. LastPass sets up in minutes and gives you secure automatic logins throughout the web, synchronizing across all your browsers, all your computers, and even your mobile devices, at home, at work, or on the road. It even securely stores sensitive form data, including credit card numbers, backup sensitive documents, software licenses, Wi-Fi logins, and more. And with LastPass Premium, you can get these benefits on other applications, manage passwords for your entire family, and also get priority customer support. Sign up at password.bogosity.tv for a free month of LastPass Premium. Log in securely everywhere using the last password you'll ever have to remember. Go to password.bogosity.tv and get LastPass now.